0: If you have a Bible with you this morning, we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 30. And I say to you, hear the word of God. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning that you would uh, come and open the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf. I pray that you would uh, Give wisdom in the sensitive topic. I pray that you be in my head and in my thinking and in my heart and in my understanding and in my mouth and in my speaking. In Jesus name we pray these things. Amen. Amen. So in, interestingly enough, like just so you know, it's how, how the, the inner workings of church. Um, I made the preaching schedule a long time ago, right? We we're about six months ahead on the preaching schedule. And just sort of randomly, Samuel gets put in there every about third week or so. And when I did that, and I put him in there randomly, and I looked at this preaching schedule, and Samuel's name was beside Lust. And I was so happy. Because <laughs> so I'm like, whew, I dodged a bullet there. I didn't want to preach on it. And then something happened with the schedule, and I got it back. It was like a hot potato. And then something else happened with the schedule, and I gave it back to him. I was so happy. And then last week I got a call I was asked to and and I'd appreciate prayer for this I'm flying to Charlotte on Tuesday to defend my uh, doctoral thesis and I had to preach this week instead so on one hand they said you get to come and defend your thesis you'll be finished and I was like oh (laughs) I have to talk about lust so with all of that said I'll open this morning with the best the the question which we've asked almost every week what is the purpose of the Sermon on the Mount if you remember the purpose of the Sermon on the Mount, which we've said every week in one way or the other, the purpose of the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus really teaching us how to live our best life, what our best life looks like. In other words, assuming that we've, if you're a follower of Jesus, he says, now that you've decided to follow me, here's what your best life looks like as a follower of, of Christ. And so this morning, we're going to talk about, I hope, um, what does your best life look like? sexually okay now on one hand you think really we're going to talk about that in in church you know it seems like maybe you know couldn't we do it some other way and the fact is is on one hand when you think about the issue of sex when and and you think about christians there's generally two stereotypes that go around right that on one hand Christians are sort of either repressed and judgmental when it comes to issues of sex and gender and all these kinds of things Or they're just flat-out like hypocrites They say one thing and they do another but the fact is when you look at the Bible the Bible has an Incredibly high view of sex in fact if you think about about it the Bible begins With a naked man singing a song to a naked woman, right? I mean it's big that's huge the Bible has a whole book devoted to sex called the Song of Songs. In fact, the English translators of the Song of Songs sort of chickened out. And. El- I, I? it seems like it went out. Uh, now, because it's actually much more erotic than it comes across in the English. And the, the book was written to teach Hebrew boys how to to be good husbands, sexually speaking, and how Hebrew girls how to be good wives, sexually speaking. So a whole book devoted to it. And so the question is. Um, What are we going to be talking about today? How how are we going to deal with it today? At the end of the day, Jesus has a high view of sex. And what Jesus is doing, I think, in this passage, is he's actually guarding that high view of sex. On one hand, it sounds like very negative, right? You heard it said, don't do this. But if you've done this, you're already guilty. But conversely, it actually guards a very high view of sex. And Jesus does it because he goes for the heart now if you were here I think it was 2013 maybe a few years ago I preached through the Ten Commandments and as I preached through the Ten Commandments I taught you two different principles they're gonna be important today right the first principle we talked about was principle of cups if you remember when Jesus dealt with the Pharisees one of the accusations he made about the Pharisees is he said you wash the outside of the cup but the inside of the cup is still dirty in other words the principle cups Says that you not only have to make sure the outside of the cup is clean, but you have to deal with the inside of the cup And so when Jesus says talks about things like adultery and murder, he says okay, so you haven't actually gone out and committed homicide Outside of the cup looks clean But on the inside of the cup if you're raging and angry and furious and and hateful You need to deal with the inside of the cup same thing with the issue of adultery so on the outside of the cup you may say I've never physically committed adultery with someone on the inside of the cup if you've lusted and gone through it in your mind over and over Jesus says the inside of the cup is still a problem so remember the principle of cups you've got the outside which often looks clean but is the inside clean and then the principle of coins or the principle of coins says that what basically when you look at the Ten Commandments Whenever something is forbidden, the opposite of that thing is demanded. And whatever something is demanded, the opposite of that thing is forbidden. So, for example, if the if the Bible says you shall not steal, what's the opposite? If if it's if it's forbidding you to steal, what is it demanding? What's the opposite of, of stealing? Well, the opposite of stealing is giving. It's being generous. What's the opposite of murder, right? It says you shall not murder. Well, the opposite of murder is protecting life. So what's the opposite of adultery? Right, so adultery by definition is the, is the breaking of a marital covenant. Well, the opposite of adultery is keeping a marital covenant. So we're going to look at three things this morning. Basically, we're going to look, we're going to define adultery. We're going to look at the problem of lust. And then finally, we're going to look at at the seriousness of sin so let me read to you verse 27 again as we look at as we define adultery verse 27 says this you've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery so the first thing you need to notice is that Jesus remember when he said we looked at a few weeks ago he said I didn't come to abolish the law but I came to fulfill the law and so what we see first of all Jesus doesn't say that that commandment is wrong he actually is affirming this commandment. you've heard this say that's true. This commandment is and what is adultery basically adultery by way of definition is any kind of sex outside of a covenant Simple as that Or a positive way to, to say to talk about sex is that it's sex inside of a covenant is appropriate But the key word there is covenant that it's it's sex within the context of being legally Bound to someone else and if only in the eyes of God you're legally bound to someone else now. That's different than a a, a covenant relationship where you're legally bound to someone is different than a consumer Relationship with someone and I got this part from Tim Keller the next few little chunk here But what's the difference between a covenant relationship and a consumer relationship? Basically a consumer relationship is where? the other person is sort of like a vendor And you're satisfied with them as long as they meet your needs. But you're always looking for an upgrade. Okay, so so a consumer relationship is when you're in a relationship with somebody and maybe you're having sex with somebody. And it's, it's okay as long as they're meeting your needs. And as soon as they don't meet your needs, you look for an upgrade. So that's a consumer thing. A consumer relationship means you're always looking to have your own needs met. What's the difference between that and a covenant relationship? A covenant relationship, you're always looking to meet the needs of the other person. That instead of getting married and saying, I'm getting married in order to have my needs met, you're saying I'm getting married in order to meet the needs of someone else. And if you, you enter into a covenant relationship where you have made a promise and you've committed to someone for the rest of your life, Keller would say that gives you th- at least three, there are three benefits to that. One is you, it gives you a safe zone. That finally you're you're actually in a relationship where you can be naked and you don't have to worry about someone leaving you because you are, you are not meeting the standard. In fact, they've married you because they want to serve you, they want to take care of you. I read a bunch of interviews this week, and one woman who was interviewed who was living with her boyfriend said she's I feel like I'm on a never-ending audition to be his wife. That she always wondered if at some point he's going to say, yeah, this isn't working out and leave. Well, inside of a covenant, she would feel safe. Now, does it always work out and divorces happen? Absolutely. Samuel will talk about that next week. <laughs> but the fact is, ideally speaking, it should be a safe place for you because what we're, what the goal of of sex is, is to give yourself to someone to be naked with someone, not only physically, but emotionally and spiritually and in every other way. Also, when you're committed, in, sometimes in spite of your feelings over the long term, your feelings grow. In other words, your feelings wax and wane, but because you're committed over time, your feelings actually grow deeper because you're giving so much. And if you don't believe that, if you don't think that's true, think about if you're a parent or if you've ever had a parent. What do parents do for their children, ideally and typically? parents are giving 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 and they don't uh, at least most parents that I know that are healthy don't say gosh I gave and gave and gave to my children and the more I gave to them the less I love them in fact the more that you invest in them the more you love them I was thinking about it yesterday it's like when I was when my girls were little I would say boy I love my girls and we had fun it was great I I love my girls more now as adults than I did when they were children and everyone, when you have a baby, you think, oh, I couldn't love anything more. You'll love her more when she's an adult, I promise you. Because you have poured and you've built in relationship. Same with marriage. The longer you pour into that relationship in, through thick and through thin and through, through positive feelings and sometimes negative feelings, your feelings actually grow deeper. And the final thing, there's, a, there's freedom, finally. But it's the, the marriage, on, at the end of the day, isn't a consumer good, but it's a covenant good it's something that god gave us think about this for a second we as protestants don't think that marriage is a sacrament but it's awfully close in other words what happens during sex between a man and a woman who are married is that a covenant renewal ceremony is happening every time that they have sex every time that they are united they are basically saying i'm giving you to myself not only most physically, but I'm giving you myself emotionally and spiritually in every other way the, the relationship that we have is actually being Renewed how important is that? I mean to, at the end of the day sex is unbelievably important if you are married right if you're married the goal of course is to be More bound to the other person and God gave sex as a part of that one of the most important It's, it's a TED talk, and it's not even a Christian but if you're, you're interested in how important it is physically and biologically to be connected to the other person, there's a uh, TED talk called "The Sex-Starved Marriage," where a psychiatrist just talks about how if a couple is married and they are never uh, they never come together physically, they just grow and grow apart. Because God built us so that we have hormones and everything else that connect us, and we need to be connected and be renewing the covenant ceremony. It's supposed to be a sign of what you do with your whole life and now the question the, the issue always comes up of what about living together and You know couples who live together. Is that wrong? You know at the end of the day? I could say yes, right? I could be a good pastor and say don't do that But the fact is at the end of the day It's not healthy for anybody studies show that sociology shows that because when you you live with someone basically What you're doing is you're living with someone? before you get married saying I'm going to live with this person to see if they meet my needs and if you if you are in a relationship in that capacity you're always on the lookout for them to do something wrong as opposed to actually committing and saying I'm going to actually commit to meet the other person's needs that's what a covenant relationship is and so Whether you're married or whether you're single and you're sitting here saying well I haven't committed physical adultery, so I guess I'm good to go, right? I haven't had sex outside of the covenant of my marriage. I haven't had sex without a covenant I'm good to go, right? Well, that's where Jesus sort of raises the standards Remember I said he doesn't just he doesn't just fulfill the law But he raises the standards of the law and that's where he goes next and we talk about the problem of lust Notice what he says in verse 28 He says I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now is Jesus saying everyone who has sexual desire is wrong. What Jesus is talking about here is intent and the, the, the word there actually is greed. That whoever looks at a woman he's talking about men here of course whoever looks at a woman with sort of greed in his heart with a lustful intent in other words he looks at her with the to, to with the end of using her not to serve her not to commit to her but just use her to meet his own needs he says you've already committed adultery in your heart and the question is um, is lust bad or is, is lust as bad as adultery on one hand lust isn't as bad as adultery I mean, just practically speaking, I mean, I mean if, if, if you're a married person and, and I'm assuming your spouse would rather you, you lust and repent of that than actually have a physical affair and repent of that. There's difference. There's, there's different uh, degrees, if you will, on one hand. On the other hand, Jesus says here that lust is deadly serious. Did you notice he he actually basically said this is so serious it could, it could end you up in hell. He said that actually twice. Jesus talks about hell more than he talks about almost anything else, and he says that that, that lust, while on one hand, practically speaking, is it as bad as as adultery? No, but reality, it puts you on a road that takes you someplace that is not going to be healthy for you and ultimately can kill you. It reminded me of the movie uh, Grizzly Man. Have you seen the movie? It's a documentary. I watched it before, and I remember thinking, that guy is crazy. And that i watched it yesterday i just wanted to watch the part that i thought would be relevant to this sermon and i ended up watching the whole thing again an hour and 48 minutes and the guy it's a guy about a man named timothy treadwell and opinions are mixed about him i'm going to give you mine i think he's crazier than a rat in a coffee can timothy treadwell thought that he had a connection with nature that no one else in the world had and so he would go to alaska And he would live with grizzly bears. And he would film himself living with grizzly bears. I mean, he would get within two or three feet of grizzly bears and say, Oh, this is chocolate back here. Everyone, look at chocolate. He's such a wonderful boy. And people were saying, Timothy, those bears are going to eat you. And he'd say, I have a connection with them. They're so wonderful. And the Native Americans in Alaska would say, No, 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 no. We spent 7,000 years figuring out how to not get eaten by those bears and if you go near them they will eat you And he said oh no 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 and he said I don't, and he's filming himself if, if there's a god I know he thinks I'm a good person because I love these bears so much they ate him spoiler alert his 13th summer the pilot who brought him supplies came in to bring him supplies and saw nothing but a human ribcage on the beach they ate him He thought he was the only person in the world who could hang around grizzly bears and not get eaten. How many of us think we're the only person in the world who can look at pornography or lust or or engage in relationships and we're not going to get eaten by it. We're not going to fall. We're not going to get hurt. It's not going to damage us. I tell you if that's your mindset you are going to be just like Timothy Treadwell. That's what Jesus says here. Jesus says that your lust ultimately will be your undoing your sin ultimately will hurt you think about david and bathsheba imagine david hopping on the roof one night and he's like oh there's a naked woman over there and at some point he started looking at the naked woman and he Nurtured this lust in his heart until eventually it bore itself out in real adultery, and it wasn't just the adultery If you remember that actually affected David's whole life, and it affected his whole family's life, and it affected the whole nation It affected all of history, and it started with his lust Which takes us to the seriousness of sin? How serious is this Jesus says in verse 29 if your right eye causes you to sin tear it out and throw it away For it is better for you to lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell And if your right hand causes you to sin cut it off and throw it away For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell So how serious is what Jesus says here apparently if he's if he's being literal It would be better for you to, to poke your eye out and throw it away Or to cut off your hand than for that thing to lead you into hell in the history of the Church. There are people who have done this. They've taken it literally. There was a church father in the third century named Origen, who emasculated himself. He took this literally, and he said, "I struggle with lust," until so he emasculated himself. And what I would always ask Origen is, "Did it work? By, by by making yourself into a eunuch, did that fix your lust problem?" Did that fix the the, the fact that you would look at a woman and and harbor lustful intent? My guess is, if he was honest, he would say no. It probably made it worse because now he had two things to think about. You see, the seriousness of sin is not just adultery. It's not just lustful intent, but the fact is, is that all of us, every person in this room, by nature and by choice, is an adulterer. All of us. The primary metaphor that the Old Testament uses for sin is adultery. That when God thinks about our sin against him, he thinks about it in terms of spiritual adultery. Let me read to you a passage from uh, Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 30. He's talking about Israel and the fact that she is chased after other gods and she is chased after other things and her sins. He says in verse 30, how sick is your heart, declares the Lord God. Because you did all these things, the deeds of a brazen prostitute, building your vaulted chamber at the head of every street and making your lofty place in every square, yet you were not like a prostitute because you scorned payment. Adulterous wife who receives strangers instead of her husband, men give gifts to all prostitutes, but you give your gifts to all your lovers, bribing them to come to you from every side with your whorings. And so you were different from other women in your whorings. No one solicited you to play the whore. And you gave payment while no payment was given to you therefore you were different In other words he says about Israel he says you were so bad With your adultery that you wouldn't even accept money for it you paid other people to, to, to be adulterous with you And so God when you th- when God thinks about sin he, he's not it's not the the anger of a sort of frustrated police officer it's like why won't you kids do what I say It's the frustration of a jilted lover who says I long for you I want to be your spouse come to me and I will give you all things and yet we continually run away from that and so what's the bad news there the the, the bad news is that we're all adulterers the good news is this is that God sent Christ to be the spouse who would never fail us or forsake us that God God through the prophets called us to be his spouse and yet he sent us his son and the fact is that Jesus was actually cut off for us that Jesus our husband who came not just to to be our husband he came but Ephesians 5 says he came to actually make us pure he came to make us the bride that that he needs and he would want and the question is I thought I'd close with this for for the the sort of people in the crowd who, who Think, you know Tommy I'm so sexually broken or if you knew what I've done over the course of my life You would you wouldn't you know be so flippant you wouldn't say that oh Jesus can heal that or Jesus came and died for that or Jesus uh, you, you know became my husband and if that's who you are if you're out there thinking and you you have some sort of guilt That re- is residual and you say I've done things sexually in my life that I'm ashamed of that. I'm worried about Then I would simply point you to the book of Hosea if you're wondering if God could love you in spite of what you've done, look at the book of Hosea. Let me, let me close with this. Look, notice in the book of Hosea, if you're not familiar with the story, it starts by God telling Hosea. He says in chapter one, verse two, when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go take you to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom for the, the land commits great whoredom or adultery by forsaking her Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. In other words, God often told the prophets, he made the prophets. Your life is going to, to be an example to Israel of my relationship with them. And so what I want you to do, Hosea, is I want you to go and I want you to marry an adulterous wife. I want you to marry someone who I can tell you out of the gate is going to cheat on you. And she, he does. He goes and marries this woman named Gomer. And she bears him children and the children are named the first child is named no mercy and the second child is named not my people and It's pretty grim because she leaves Hosea again and cheats on him She leaves Hosea a third time and after three times of, of having to deal with an adulterous wife God says this about Israel he says, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and in steadfast love and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. And that day I will, declares the Lord. I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth. And the earth shall answer the grain and the wine and the toil. And all shall answer, I will sow her for myself in the land. I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, You are my people. And he shall say, You are my God. And if you're Hosea, you're wondering, how are you going to, do, his life is an object lesson for Israel, his wife has left him three times, Israel is also adulterous, and Hosea's gotta be thinking, God, how are you going to do these things? How are you going to redeem Israel? How are you going to love them, and make them, a, a, be a great husband to them, and be compassionate to them, and change their name, and all these things, and God basically says in chapter three, here's how Hosea, the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress even as the Lord loves the children of Israel though they turned to other gods and love raisin cakes so I bought her for fifteen shekels of silver and a homer and a lecteth of barley and I said to her you must dwell as mine for many days you shall not play the whore and belong to another man so I also be to you in other words God says to Hosea Hosea go back again pursue her again in in the midst of her adultery By this time, by the way, Gomer had gotten to a place where she wasn't just an adulterous wife anymore. She had basically sold herself out. She was on the auction block, naked. Imagine you're the husband of a wife who has been such an adulterous woman that she is now naked on an auction block with men bidding for her, and God comes back and says, no, you go pay the price for her. You, husband, go pursue her and pay the price for her. And I could just imagine Hosea saying, God, why do I have to do this? And the answer back in the rest of the book of Hosea is this, because that's what that's what I do for you. Pursue the adulterous woman, because Hosea, that's what I do for you. That God came, he didn't just pray 15 shekels, he paid his very son, so that all you and I, adulterous people that we are, might be redeemed and rejoined to our spouse, Jesus. Think about that. Let me pray. Father, I pray this morning as we consider this hard topic um, that you would grant us peace, you would grant us repentance, rest. In Christ's name we pray these things, amen and amen.